finished Philippians chapter 4. We've gone as far as verse 10. <clears throat> Has been a wonderful, powerful study going through this prison epistle. Paul writing to this church that, as we have seen, that was very special to him. There's a closeness that he had with the believers at Philippi as he's chained to a Roman guard, and he's been writing to them about joy, about peace, about what it is that we meditate on, right living, very important things that I pray have been a tremendous blessing to you. And as we finish this morning, something very important that we're going to be looking at, and that is how to be content. So, Father, as we come to you right now in prayer, help us to remember to have our phones on silent, to be settled in our seats, to have our hearts that are soft before you, that we may just be taught by you, by your word. We just give this time to the teaching of the word. <clears throat> you honor your word above your name, as David would write. And Lord, there's something very, very important for us here that will help us live that joyous life, that will help us live uh, that life to having a peace in our hearts and in our minds. So we commit this time to you in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we're going to conclude this wonderful epistle, that we are learning how to have joyous living in our lives. And I believe that every single one of us, that we want that. That's something that for a lot of Christians, particularly over the last few years, has been absent. Just a lot of anxiousness or turmoil in their lives or uncertainty in their lives. And we know that as Paul here is writing, he's writing at a time where there's uncertainty in his life because he doesn't know what's going to happen to him, what's going to be the conclusion of his imprisonment as he's waiting to stand before the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and that is Caesar Nero. And he is expressing not anxiousness or murmuring or complaining. If he had a reason to do that, we would understand that. But he is talking about rejoicing in the Lord. He's talking about the peace of God. He is speaking to us specifically what it is that we're to set our hearts and minds on. And as we are to set our minds on the eternal things on the Lord, he writes in this chapter, rejoice in the Lord always, after he says, stand fast in the Lord. He would say that we are to be ones that, to remember that our names are written in the book of life. And we have talked quite extensively over the last couple of weeks how we can have that joy inexpressible in our lives, even in the uncertainty or the difficulties or the hardships that we go through. We have also discussed those things that will rob us of our joy. And as I said, every single one of us, we want to have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. To have joyous living, to be able to have that joy, that deep sense of just peace and calmness and confidence in the Lord that he's with us and his promises are true for us in our lives. And we can have that, that joy inexpressible. We can have a peace that passes understanding because we don't understand everything that goes on in life, do we? Or the things that we face or uh, the difficulties that, that we find ourselves in. And so I want to have peace. And many people that we know really don't have that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I don't really have a peace of mind. I, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm confused. Uh, I just have turmoil and trouble in my circumstance. It's, it's 
overwhelming in my heart to the, the feelings of, of being anxious and worrying and all these things that we can go through. And if anyone had a reason to be anxious, it was the apostle here. As he's in this imprisonment, as he's waiting to stand before the emperor uh, Caesar Nero. And he writes something. Let me read it to you again. We covered this last week. But have these verses underlined and go to them when you're feeling anxious. He says, you don't have to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You see, a lot of times I want understanding. That's the way that I am. I, I want understanding why this is happening, why I'm going through this, why I'm feeling this way. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you something greater. I'm going to give you a peace that passes understanding. And as he does, it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Be thankful in all things. And as Christians, we can't be thankful because we have the Lord. Because of the promises of the Lord, we belong to him. And he wants to also give us peace that, that we can have in our hearts. And as we have that, God can do that. And then as we also saw last week, that not only is there a guarding of your heart, but there is a guiding of your thoughts. Meditate on these things. Verse 8, again, very important. This is an important verse to teach to your children, to your grandchildren, or those that perhaps that you get to minister to, that finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, whatever things are just, and things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We hear a lot of voices during the week, don't we? A lot of information comes at us, a lot of things that can really bother us or just get us angry or, again, anxious or whatever the case may be. As It's all around us, those voices, and we want to meditate on the things of the Lord. Yes, we're going to be updated on the latest news. Yes, we're going to keep track of things that are taking place. Yes, those things that we see going on in the world around us can bother us, but don't just focus on those things. So there is a guiding of your thoughts. Meditate on these things. And not only that, but there is right living, verse 9, as we concluded last week. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. So these are very rich verses, very important verses for us to pray through and say, Lord, help me to work these things out in my life. At the peace of God. We as believers, we have peace with God. Amen? We're no longer at enmity with the Lord. But we don't always have the peace of God. And we learn in these verses as we pray, as we're thankful, uh, right thinking, meditating on the things of the Lord and right living, then we can experience the peace of God in our hearts. And I just want to remind us also in verse 9 about right living, that we as parents, as grandparents, or whatever state that you might find yourself in, those who are linked to you in your life, those that you have influence uh, in their lives as you minister to them, the things that you have learned from me and saw in me, and what my prayer is that they would see the things of the Lord. People need to see light. It's so dark out there. And remember chapter 2 that the apostle wrote, you be a light in this dark world. That they watch us. They see the reality of Jesus Christ. They're not going to see perfection, are they? 
but something of the Lord. The things that you have learned from me and saw in me, received from me. If you do these things again, he speaks about the peace of God that will be in your hearts. And now as we continue, and again, as I said, we're going to finish the epistle that we read in verse 10 of chapter 4. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you care for me. Uh, Your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So Paul here is changing his thought here a bit. He expresses his joy and appreciation for the generous giving of the Philippian believers to him. And as they gave a financial gift, we know that in chapter 2, verse 25, he spoke of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus perhaps was the pastor of this church, traveled all the way from Philippi to Rome. He ministered to my needs. We know that they gave a financial gift to Paul. We'll see that very clearly in verses 15 through 18. But he says here that you care. You cared for me, you wanted to give to me, but you lacked opportunity. And keep in mind, as Epaphroditus would bring Paul this financial gift to him in Rome, it probably took a little bit of time for him to catch up with Paul, because Paul's been in his legal nightmare for the last few years. He went to Jerusalem, he was arrested there, taken into Roman custody. He was then taken to Caesarea on the coast of Israel. He stood before two governors, he's there for at least a couple years. He, as a Roman citizen, as he, uh, right before he would stand before King Agrippa in the amphitheater there and give his testimony, he would appeal to Caesar. They said, well, to Caesar you shall go. So now as he, he got on a boat, the, end of the book of Acts ends with him on that journey. He's in a storm. They shipwreck. He washes up on Malta, and then he finally makes it to Rome. So it took time for Epaphroditus to really figure out where Paul was because there's no, you know, texting or emails or, or, or any of those kinds of things. And the Philippian church, they were very generous to Paul. And they were not a rich church. Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians that they would give out their poverty, they would give it out of their persecution. In verse 11, as we read, Paul continuing, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do, verse 13, all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you've shared in my distress. This is really important. Please don't tune out. The apostle writes here, I have learned to be content. I have learned to be content. In whatever state that I find myself in. And of course, we live in a world where there's a lot of people that are discontent. A lot of discontentment that is going around. We live in a modern culture where, in a nation, where we are told that more or bigger or grander is where it's at. To to get what you want. And Paul says here something that is really very, very important for us in this day and age. I have learned to be content. In whatever state that I am in, rich or poor, full or hungry, or plenty and in need, he says, I have learned it. Because it doesn't come natural to us. And there's a lot of people that I've talked to and have learned, and I can struggle with these things as well, that they haven't learned to be content. 
And especially when we are taught over and over again that you really will not be happy, you will not be satisfied, you really will not be content unless you have this thing or more of that or live in this place or have this job or whatever. We are a nation of people that have more than anybody else in human history. But we are people that the studies show are more discontent than ever before, down and discouraged than ever before. And one of the reasons is because we haven't learned to be content. It doesn't mean that we don't go through trials. It doesn't mean that we don't hurt. It doesn't mean that, that we uh, know, know that, Lord, I, I need to change jobs or change cities or move to this place or I have these needs. But it's just you want more. And I'm not going to be happy unless I get more and not learning to be content. I think you know what I'm saying. And if you want to be, and I want to be one that is rejoicing and has the peace of God and joy inexpressible in our hearts, we need to learn to be content. We need to listen and really pray through what the Bible is telling us here. Learn to be content in wherever God has placed you now. But so oftentimes we can get so frustrated in life because we haven't learned to be content. And we all, I believe, as I've already said, including myself, has struggled with this. It's a lesson that God is still working in my life. So another way to lose our joy, to lose that peace, to stop rejoicing in the Lord, is when I am not content Always wanting more. What somebody else has. Uh, I'm not going to be satisfied unless I have that thing or whatever the case might be. You see, there's an individual that we read about in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 21, you can read about it. Mark it in your notes. But Ahab was the king of the ten northern tribes of Israel. And as he was king, he was not a good king. He was a wicked king. And he wanted the vineyard of Naboth, who had a vineyard next to the king's palace. And the king is looking out his palace. He's looking out the window. He, he wanted that land. He wanted that vineyard so he could have a vegetable garden. Now, that doesn't make sense right there. A vineyard is very valuable. And, and to take it and turn it into a vegetable garden? But that's what he wanted. And the king goes to Naboth, and he wants to, to buy his land, his vineyard. And Naboth says, no, you can't do that. Uh, in ancient Israel, inheritance was very, very important. This is my inheritance. According to Leviticus 25 and Numbers 36, I'm not to sell it to you. The law forbids it. It's to stay in the family. It, it's to, so I can continue the family name. That was very, very important. You cannot buy my vineyard. So Ahab goes home. He falls on his bed, and he starts to cry. Well, his wife Jezebel, who also was very ungodly, sees this. And she goes to him and says, listen, you're the king. Quit being a worm and rise up and eat, and I'll make sure that you get that vineyard. You get what you want because they weren't content. And she ends up writing a letter in Ahab's name. She sealed it with his seal. Sends those letters to the elders of the nobles, who were in the city that Naboth was from. And she sets up Naboth. What you're to do is you're to put him in a place of honor. And while this is going on, this dinner, this, this uh, place of honor that he's at up front, 
she would hire these two guys. And they would come in and they would falsely accuse him of blasphemy against God and blasphemy against the king. And then what you're to do is take him out of the city and stone him to death. So that's what happened. She made sure that this plan unfolded. They wrongly accused him as they're having this, this, this dinner to honor Naboth. These two individuals come in. They wrongly accuse him of blasphemy and drag him out of the city. And they stone him to death with stones. It was brutal. Well, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he quit his temper tantrum. He got up off his bed, and he went to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Well, the story continues there in 1 Kings chapter 21. There was a fiery prophet. His name was Elijah. You probably heard of him. And he goes to Ahab, and he says, Thus says the Lord, You have murdered, and you've taken possession. It was Ahab that was held responsible, not just Jezebel, his wife, Even though she came up with the plan, even though she wrote the letters, sealed the letters with his seal, hired these two guys to come in and and falsely accuse him to make sure that this plan was executed to where Naboth was put to death, he was held responsible too because of his discontentment and because of his moaning and because of his crying and because of his complaining because he wanted Naboth's vineyard. And it would cause his wife Jezebel to move in a way of great wickedness so that Ahab would get what he wanted. Listen, I'll tell you the truth on this. The problem with murmuring and complaining and whimpering and sniveling because you don't have something that you want because you're not content where God has you, it can cause your spouse, it can cause... Your children, it can cause those around you to move in ungodly ways. To get you what you want, to try to get you out of the discontentment that you were in. And you're going to be held responsible. Because you just had to have your little vegetable garden. And you're not content. Well, Elijah comes and says to Ahab, thus says the Lord. In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood. And your wife Jezebel, the dogs shall eat her by the wall of Jezreel. In other words, you two are in the doghouse. You're through. And as you move into 1 Kings chapter 22, Ahab's in battle. Gets hit by an arrow, he dies in his chariot. And the dogs come along and lick up his blood. Time later, Jezebel... Well, she's tossed out of a window and run over by a chariot, and the dogs come along, and the only thing that was left from her was her skull, her palms, her feet. Terrible way to end your life. It's all because Ahab and Jezebel lived a life where they always wanted more. They didn't trust the Lord. They were discontent. And the Apostle Paul here, as he's in this prison cell, taking pen to parchment, and he's writing to these Christians that he loves very much. At the end of this epistle, he says, learn to be content. Learn to be content where God has you. And don't just have the mindset of, well, I just won't be happy or satisfied or content or fulfilled unless 
I have my little vegetable garden. Because it won't be enough. And if we don't learn to be content, it'll always be, I want more. And it's always just a little bit more. Just this one thing. Then I'll be content. Learn to be content now. Or you'll go through heartache and just being down and discouraged. In my years of ministry, I have seen Christians that they go from job to job, they go from place to place, they go from church to church because they're discontent. They haven't learned to be content where God has them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to change my situation, strive to have more, focus on what everybody else has, and they end up being eaten by the dog of discontentment. We need to remember this. Set your mind on the eternal things to remember that the very best has already been given to us. That is his son. That our names are written in the book of life. That the Lord's coming is at hand. That we're going to get new heavenly bodies. That we're citizens of heaven. Those things that he has reminded us of in this epistle. That when he does come back, that we're going to rule and reign with him. But when I find myself in a state of being discontent, what we are to do is look at what's been given to you. And that is his son. And we are to look at his feet where a spike was driven through. And his palms and his skull where a crown of thorns were driven into. And realize that, thank you, Lord, that I am saved and I'm forgiven and I'm not going to go to hell. And, and I'm a joint heir with Christ. That I'm going to heaven And I'm going to rule and reign with my Lord and keeping my eyes on the things above, not just on the things of this earth. Because if that's all we do is focus on the things of the earth and what can I get and I want more of, if you do, you'll always just be discontent and, you know, just down and discouraged and run over in life. This is a big one, I believe. And it is one that the Lord keeps bringing me back to over and over again. Because there's the pressure all around this of, you know, you're not happy unless you have more, even in the church. How do we measure the success of a church or a ministry? How big is the church? How big is their building? How dynamic is their ministries? How, you know, much social media do they have? Whatever the case may be. And yes, I desire to minister to as many people as God gives us to minister to. But I've also learned this. that I want to be content now where he has us and where he has me in my ministry. Because if I can't serve and love and feed and minister to the people that he gives me today, am I going to be able to do it for more? Am I going to be willing to do it for more that come? If I can't love the family and the sheep that he's given to me, And not be content. If I only had more people, then I'll love them. Then I'll serve them. Then I'll pray for them. Too many pastors discontent. If I just had a bigger church, if I just had the money to build a bigger sanctuary, 
If I just had more staff, and if I just had cutting-edge social media or whatever, and not content, we murmur because we don't have the money we wish we did or whatever. And Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever state that I'm in. And then he writes something in verse 13 that's really important. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I've heard many Bible teachers and Christians who use this verse out of context, and they will use it in reference to the super-Christian mentality. Look at me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at the big C that's on my chest. And demons tremble at my sight, and troubles that come my way fall off me like water off a duck's back. That's not the context here. Paul is saying, I can be content in all situations, even when I have need, through Christ. I can handle the poverty and, and living with abundance through Christ. I can be content. In verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Even though Paul was content in whatever circumstance that he found himself in, he was very thankful for the gift that they gave to him. You guys were the only ones that helped me, supported me during a particular time that I had need. When I was at Thessalonica, now that second missionary journey, he would leave Philippi and then go to the Thessalonica where a church was established. He was only there for a short time before he was run out and he had to continue on. But you gave to my need in verse 17, continuing, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smell and aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. One of the most difficult areas that I have found for me to talk about in ministry is, is money, is giving. It's something that a lot of pastors don't have any problem talking about. Matter of fact, some pastors and TV evangelists, that's all they talk about. But as Christians, and you, you've felt it perhaps yourself, where you can really feel the pressure when you listen to a program or you know, on radio, TV, you belong to a church, a supportive ministry, sometimes there can be that pressure to give. So here at Calvary Chapel, I don't want to ever try to make you feel pressured or guilty into giving. That's why you can freely give in the offering boxes. And again, we live by the philosophy where God guides, he provides. But as we do come to these areas of scripture that talk about giving gifts or the tithe or the offering, I want us to make sure that, that we understand that it is God's desire for us to give. And it's for the furtherance of the kingdom, but also it's a blessing for you. There is fruit that abounds, and it is put on your eternal account. Isn't that interesting? I think all of us, we have, you know, all kinds of accounts, you know, uh, IRA, uh, uh, a pension, uh, 401, a savings, a checking account. But you have an eternal account. And when we give to the Lord and for the furtherance of the kingdom, that the fruit that abound goes to that eternal account. It pleases God, and it's like a sweet-smelling aroma, he says here, an acceptable sacrifice to the one that gives. So invest in the kingdom. 
And as we come to him to say, Lord, this is for you. I don't want, want glory for it or applause for it. Uh, I, I don't want to be noticed. There's no plaque with my name, you know, up. That's okay. No recognition. Lord, I give to you because you see it. This is my sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and worship to you. And as you give to this church is, is the fruit that abounds. As you give to the radio program that goes out the gospel, the feedback that we get all the time from people that are being blessed and coming to the Lord. As we give to CBI in Peru and two church plants that, that we're seeing fruit abound, it's amazing that it goes to your account. And Lord, I want to just give to you for that. And I guarantee that when we get to heaven, not a single one of us will say, Lord, I wish I wouldn't have given that money. I wish I didn't give that. I wish I would have kept that. No, we give generously, freely, cheerfully when you have opportunity. And that's what they did, and they, they did that, and they saw there was a need, so they gave. And my God will still supply, verse 19, all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God will supply your needs as one of the things that I want to mention as we talk about being content and giving and God's blessing, one of the things you'll find out is you can never outgive God. You can never outgive Him. And as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think about the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. That three chapters, small book, Habakkuk, he, he's struggling. He's saying, Lord, why is this happening to our nation? So he's wrestling, chapter 2, he's watching. He said, I'm going to be in my tower. I'm going to seek you till you answer me. And then chapter 3, he's worshiping. And at the end of that, that little book, he writes this. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills. Isn't that wonderful? Many of you are familiar with those verses. Even though there's no food on the trees and no yield of, of food in the fields, uh, no flocks, no herds in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Does that sound familiar? This epistle. The joy of the God of my salvation. Having joy. The strength of the Lord. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That is a promise of the Lord. And greet every saint, verse 21, in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those of Caesar's household. Those palace guards, as he mentioned in verse 1, the furtherance of the gospel, they're getting saved. Those who are chained to Paul the Apostle, those who are there uh, with him in that prison, and, you know, uh, as uh, they're getting saved and hearing the gospel. So maybe you're in a place where you feel like, man, I'm chained to this desk, I'm chained to this job, to this, this, this situation, I feel like I'm in prison. God can use it for the furtherance of the gospel to be a light to others. And then he writes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.
the book of Philippians. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your love for us. And we thank you for um, this morning, these very important verses. Help us to learn to be content. Lord, we know that there may be desires, and we can give you our desires. We can cast our cares on you. But, Lord, we know what you're saying to us. It's not just having things, but it's being where you want us to be, to be content in what you've given to us now. And, Lord, we thank you for the things that you've given to us, where you've placed us. And, Lord, give us that joy and that peace that we desire as we just set our mind on you and live for you. So I pray for anyone here that you're ministering to them and they're saying, Lord, I've been murmuring and sniveling and just complaining in my heart because I'm not content. I want more. Forgive me. The Lord hears you. And help me to learn to be content. That's for all of us, Lord, please. To be thankful. To just look to you. To have that joyous living in our hearts. And I do want to pray, Lord, for anyone who's here that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You see, you're not going to be content in this world. The world's philosophy and ways there's have more. But Jesus Christ has given you everything, eternal life. He's given and provided forgiveness of sin. And what you are to do is come and receive that by faith. To recognize that you're a sinner in need of the Savior Jesus who died for you and rose again. And the invitation is to come. And you can pray right where you are, that, Lord, I come to you and I ask you, forgive me of my sins. I confess I'm a sinner. I believe you made atonement for my sins. You rose again in your life, speaking to my heart. And I now give my heart to you, ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me to the family of God. Help me, Lord, to keep my eyes on you, to learn of you, to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray you bless us that we go our way, helping us to be a light to others. And Lord, learning to be content and to remember that Jesus, we have everything. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.